the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. You better believe that if Jesus fulfilled all the details concerning his first coming in the Bible, not just the prophecies found in the book of Zechariah, there are more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the first coming of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled them all. That's not coincidental. That's a divine appointment. That if Jesus fulfilled more than 300 prophecies related to his first coming, you better believe he's also going to fulfill every prophecy related to his second coming. And there are more than three times as many prophecies about his second coming than there were his first coming. Some people shy away from studying Bible prophecy because it can be hard to follow and understand, especially if it's about the end times. But Bible prophecy is about the hope Christians have in Jesus' second coming. If you don't have the hope of Jesus, then your life is just about being born, living life to the fullest, and then dying. There's nothing else left. But in today's message, Pastor Gary will explain that your life isn't about the here and now. It's about the hope and promise of Jesus' return. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Zechariah as he begins his message, Jesus, our Messiah King. We come here to now the 11th out of 12 of the Minor Prophets, the last 12 books of your Old Testaments, known as the minor prophets. Again, not because these are less important than the other prophets, but these are typically prophets who their books are less than what the other prophets had to say. Now, this is an exception. Zechariah is considered a minor prophet. Daniel is considered one of the major prophets, and yet Zechariah has more to say than Daniel did. So um, it's not strict in terms of, you know, the length, but Zechariah is the longest of the Minor Prophets. He has 14 chapters here for us. We're going to focus on a major theme here from this book. I'm going to read the first four verses of chapter 1. It says, In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, he was king of Persia, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets preached, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds, but they did not hear nor heed me, 
says the Lord. So the book of Zechariah opens with Zechariah saying, listen, God wants to get your attention. Don't be like your forefathers. When God sent prophets, they didn't hear them and they didn't heed what they had to say. But turn to the Lord. And if you turn to the Lord, he will turn to you. And so the beginning of the book here is just this call for just come humbly before the Lord. Turn to him. He will turn to you. And so it opens up in this way. A little background here on Zechariah. His name in Hebrew is pronounced Zechariah. Zechariah translates the Lord remembers. It's, it's interesting, by the way, that in the little genealogy that he gives us here in chapter 1, verse 1, he tells us that Zechariah is the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet. Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. His father's name, Berechiah, means the Lord blesses. And Edo means timely. And when you string together those three uh, generations It translates, the Lord remembers and blesses in his time. And it really is kind of a wonderful intro to the book of Zechariah because Zechariah is ministering to people that probably thought God had forgotten them because they had spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon and then God moved the heart of King Cyrus before Darius to allow the Jews to go back to their homeland And so they need some encouragement, and Zechariah starts his book by basically saying, if you string together me and previous two generations I've come from, it is a reminder that the Lord remembers and the Lord blesses in his time. And so it's a word of encouragement here. And Zechariah prophesies in 520 B.C., the same year that Haggai, the previous book that we read last week, uh, ministered in 520 B.C., and again, to the remnant of the Jews who have returned from captivity after 70 years in Babylon. Therefore, as we said last week, the book and the events of Zechariah, like Haggai, fit within the book of Ezra. So further earlier in your Old Testament, you have the book of Ezra, and the events of Haggai and Zechariah fit within that storyline. Zechariah is called a young man in chapter 2, verse 4, and most Bible scholars believe he was probably a teenager, that he may have been about 17 years of age when God calls him here as a prophet to his own people, which is, you know, another reminder. You're never too young and you're never too old. God can use people for his glory and for his purposes. Zechariah is quoted more than 40 times in the New Testament. He is quoted more than any other minor prophet in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels. But tragically, we learn from Jesus that Zechariah was brutally murdered for simply being a prophet. I'm going to read, you don't need to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said this when he was rebuking the religious leaders of his day. He said, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you, he pronounces this judgment, That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. So Jesus tells us something that we don't read in the Old Testament. Zechariah was brutally murdered for being a prophet at some point in his life. Now, it is curious as to why. Because at least in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah does not say anything harsh, confrontational, rebuking about sin like much of the other prophets did, Zechariah brings a word of encouragement. So maybe at some other point he said some things that ticked some people off, 
but we don't have the cause or the reason why he was murdered as brutally as he was. But at some point, he was. He was murdered. For whatever reason, they killed him. And Zechariah's message is really a message of encouragement. And so again, there's nothing in this book that gives us reason to understand. Why would people murder him? The main theme of this book is about hope and encouragement concerning the promise of a Messiah King. That's why Zechariah writes this. He's writing about the hope and encouragement concerning a Messiah King. And the book is considered the most prophetic of the minor prophets related to end times. Zechariah prophesies more about the first and second coming of Jesus than all the other minor prophets combined. And for that reason, it's impossible for me to teach this book without talking about the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to talk about today. You know, Zechariah writes these things concerning the first and second coming. All of that was prophetic for him. Now, some of that, obviously, for us is historic, because Jesus has come, his first coming. He has died on a cross. He ascended back into heaven. But the part that Zechariah writes about his second coming has yet to be fulfilled, and so obviously that is still in the future for us as well. But thus, we're going to be looking a little bit at the historicity of Christ and the prophecy of Christ, and and why is it important? Why is this important for us to also understand what Zechariah was writing in 520 B.C.? Because the fact of the matter is that the same hope and encouragement that applied to the people of Zechariah's day still applies to us the hope and the promise of a Messiah King. That's what we need to be reminded of. Well, I heard the story about a state trooper who was, um, you know, set up a radar trap along the highway and uh, catching speeders, but all of a sudden he noticed on his radar gun that there was this one vehicle that was only going 22 miles an hour in a 55. And so he decided, I got to pull this car over because, you know, if you go too slow on the highway, you can be just as much of a danger as if you go too fast. So he pulls the car over. And uh, when he walks up to the car, he sees uh, five elderly women in the car, two elderly ladies in the front seat, three in the back seat. He noticed that they looked terrified. And he said to the ladies, he said, uh, you all realize that you were not going the speed limit. And, and the driver, uh, she said, uh, well, with all due respect, officer, I was going exactly the speed limit. I was going 22 miles an hour. And he says, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. That's, that's the route number. You're on route 22. This is, this is 55 miles an hour, but you're on route 22. That's not the speed limit. She says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't know that. And so he says, All right, I'll, I'll just let you off with a warning today. But he couldn't um, pull his eyes away from the fact that all the passengers look so terrified so terrified in the car. And so he just, he just said gently, you know, can I ask why all of you seem to be so frightened, so terrified? And then the lady driver, she said, oh, officer, it's going to be fine in a few minutes, but we just pulled off from route 119. <laughs> when, 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 don't you love, I love that one. That's a good one. Do you want to hear another one that has nothing to do with it? No, I'm not going to. I don't want to get sidetracked. I don't want to get sidetracked. Whenever I start talking about Bible prophecy, some of you look like you've just come off of Route 119. It starts, you start to get like terrified, like, what does this mean? And you know, and, and you end up acting like chicken little, like the sky is falling and you become a Christian little, like it just, you know, what does this mean? Armageddon and Jesus coming again and blood moons and all this kind of stuff. Relax already. 
okay? Because the fact of the matter is that when we talk about Bible prophecy, and again, some of this is historical for us, but some of it is prophetic for us, we're talking about the hope of the church. That when we speak about Jesus coming again, this is our blessed hope. This is, this is what makes life more um, endurable because when we realize that our life is not simply about the here and now. Our life is about eternity and that we have a Lord who's coming again. And God has sent Messiah King for our benefit. The fact of the matter is that there are two basic human needs that are universal. All of us have that can only be met in the Messiah King. The one need is the need to be right with God. Every single person intuitively knows they need to be right with God. Don't always know how to get there, but they, they know I need to be right with God. The second need that every human being has is, is the need to be ready for death. Because death is the universal equalizer. And everybody is aware that their days are numbered. Um, and, and by the way, don't think just because you might be young that you have a lot of days still to be numbered. I've done more funerals for people under 40 than over 40. You just don't know. And so all of us need to be ready because life is not just simply about here and now. I mean, how cruel would it be if this is all that there was, that you were just born and, and you grew up, you went to school, um, you got a job, uh, maybe you got married, maybe you had kids, then you retired from your job and you moved to Florida, and then they put you in a pine box and threw dirt over you. I mean, is that it? Is that as good as it gets? Because that means that life is pretty cruel, and death would be a very cruel thing. I, I read uh, once Arnold Schwarzenegger said how angry he was about death, and that was because his uh, brother many, many years ago uh, died in a car accident at the age of 24. And so Schwarzenegger was always very angry about that and the loss of his brother. And Schwarzenegger once said, quote, I've always been extremely angry about the idea of death. It's such a waste. I know it's inevitable. But what the blank is that? Your whole life you work, you try to improve yourself, you save money, you invest wisely, and all of a sudden, poof, it's over. Death angers me more than ever, end quote. Well, the fact of the matter is that death angers God too. And so he did something about it. He sent a Messiah King so that, number one, we can be right with God. And number two, we can know where we go when we die. And the name of that Messiah King is Jesus. He is our Messiah King. Now, Zechariah does not mention him by name, but he gives such details concerning this Messiah King that it can only apply to Jesus because he was the one who fulfilled all these details related to his first coming. And you better believe that if Jesus fulfilled all the details concerning his first coming in the Bible, not just the prophecies found in the book of Zechariah, there are more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the first coming of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled them all. That's not coincidental. That's a divine appointment. That if Jesus fulfilled more than 300 prophecies related to his first coming, you better believe he's also going to fulfill every prophecy related to his second coming. And there are more than three times as many prophecies about his second coming than there were his first coming. So Zechariah writes about both here. Now, from his standpoint in 520 BC, it's all prophetic. Some of it's historic for us. But nevertheless, we're going to take a look at the way that Zechariah breaks down these things in his letter here, in his, in his book 
concerning Jesus, he sees three stages about the mission and ministry of Jesus, which is exactly consistent with the Gospels in the New Testament. Zechariah writes about the meek Messiah. He writes about the suffering suffering Savior. And then he writes about the coming King. And so the first thing that Zechariah prophesies about concerning Jesus is how he would come as a meek Messiah. Now, this is, again, the first coming of Christ. I want you to go with me in your Bibles to chapter 9. From chapter 9 to 14 are the chapters that are really the prophetic chapters about Jesus. And again, we're starting with his first coming. But I want you to see a prophecy here in Zechariah 9, 9 that Matthew says was fulfilled on the day that Jesus came to Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. Zechariah saw this and he wrote this in Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just at having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now again, Matthew tells us that in 32 AD, this was fulfilled on the day that Jesus comes into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, to the hails of the people who were ascribing to him messianic titles as they were waving palm branches and laying them in the road. Matthew quotes Zechariah 9.9 in his gospel. I'll just read it. You don't need to turn there. It's Matthew 21. I'm going to read the first nine verses. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now, listen, put it in modern context. What Jesus was asking his disciples to do was, I I want you to go to the local Cracker Barrel, and you're going to see parked in front of it a beautiful uh, Ford F-150. I want you to hotwire the thing, and I want you to drive it to me. And if anybody asks you why you're doing this, you just say, Jesus needs it. Because that's, that's a similar thing of what's happening here. A donkey was a beast of burden. You would ride it. It's like hotwiring somebody's car and stealing it, but just saying, the Lord needs it, and driving off with it. And so this is what he's asking them to do. I wonder if any of the disciples are like, who's going to do this? You want to do this? I don't want to do this. But then Matthew quotes Zechariah. And he says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, and then he quotes right out of Zechariah 9, 9, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. And others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is a remarkable scene. I know it's familiar to many of you, the whole Palm Sunday story. Here it is, Jesus coming into Jerusalem the week just before he's going to be crucified. And he comes fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. You see, God gives different opportunities for people to realize, oh, this is exactly the Messiah because this is an aspect of what the prophet said. Zechariah said he would come riding on a donkey. But Zechariah uses the word lowly. Matthew repeats it when he quotes Zechariah. This is Jesus coming in a lowly, humble way. This is the meek Messiah. 
He doesn't come in like this raging warrior. He comes in as a meek Messiah, and the people are laying down palm branches as a way of just honoring him like a Messiah king, and they're actually quoting from the book of Psalms. They're quoting messianic passages to him because they recognize that he's a Messiah king, but they have no idea what Jesus has come to do for them. They think that Jesus has come to set them free from the oppression of the Roman government. Little did they know that really what Jesus came to do was to set mankind free from the oppression of sin. That by his death on a cross, he would pay the price for our sins as a substitutionary offering to satisfy and appease the wrath of God, which must be executed because of our sinful rebellion against God. But instead of God executing it upon us, he determined, I will execute it upon my son because I love the world and I am going to send my son to die for the world, that the punishment intended for the world would be placed on my son Jesus. That's the truth and that's the message of the gospel. So that by faith in Jesus, we might be forgiven. We might be made right with God. And Jesus comes as the meek Messiah, 32 AD, down the streets of Jerusalem to be crucified for our sins. He comes in meekness, not weakness. Meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness means you consider others, you esteem others better than yourself. It means that there's no pride. He comes in humble. He comes in lowly. He doesn't come in to assert his power or his justice. Not now, not yet. But he comes in to demonstrate his love and his mercy for us by humbly dying on a cross. And Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can I get an amen on that, right? That's what Christ has come to do for us. And God demonstrates his love for us. John would say in 1 John four ten, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Which leads us to the second aspect of the mission and ministry of Jesus. Zechariah also writes about how Jesus came as our suffering Savior. If you go in your Bibles there to chapter 11 of Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 11, check this out. Zechariah even predicts the price that will be paid Judas for betraying Jesus. 30 pieces of silver. 520 years before Christ, Zechariah says, the betrayal price will be 30 pieces of silver. In Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13, Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter. That princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Now, in the margin of your Bible, you might just want to write down Matthew 27, verses 3 to 10. Right there next to Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. Just in the margin, you can write down Matthew 27, 3 to 10. And here's the reason. Because Matthew tells us that this, again, is a prophecy that was fulfilled when Judas took 30 pieces of silver from the religious leaders to betray Jesus. And in Matthew's gospel, it tells us the rest of the story. Judas takes the 30 pieces of silver, the exact amount Zechariah prophesied, takes it, betrays Jesus, and then remorse fills his heart. Remorse fills Judas's heart. He doesn't repent, but he's remorseful. There's a big difference. And so he takes the 30 pieces of silver, and the Bible says that he throws it back into the temple 
throws it back to the chief priests and the religious leaders. Doesn't want it, and then he goes out and hangs himself. The warnings and prophecies found in the minor prophet books can be intense, but they remind you of one thing. God is patient. He doesn't exact judgment on those who have sinned immediately. Instead, God shows mercy. He gives you ample time to come to Him in repentance, handing the wrongs you've committed over to Him and letting His love restore you. Because of that love for His creation, God sent His only Son to die on the cross in your place, taking your sins with Him. Jesus' death provides you the opportunity at a new life and forgiveness for all your wrongs. Are you ready to come to Jesus in repentance today and receive this grace? We'd like to talk more with you, so please give us a call at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. We also want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45 a.m., as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. If you're not able to be with us in person, we do offer each service online as well. Again, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to connect. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary's message. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know.